Hey, Jeremy. Hey, Raphael. Hey, so, um, I just saw you on video briefly, and your eye, your one eye is still closed. <coughs> oh, no, I'm sneezing. Now. Yeah. <coughs> I, I, I have to say, when you appeared on video and now sneezing, I'm like, I asked you, are you okay to record? <laughs> Because no. you're like, I don't know where my microphone is. I don't know where my pop filter my, is. My I don't pop know where my cable is, is. Something's yeah. wrong with the audio settings. Hachu. And I was like, oh, maybe this is too much. No, no, I'm fine. I'm actually a, a lot better. Like every week is better than the last. So the last okay. time, you know, it's been two weeks since we recorded. And um, actually, the only reason my eye was closed is I just put in like a drop. And uh, okay. um, But most of the day it's been open, which is like great. Um, yeah. And I can I can actually see better too. Um, I think you're and, kind of bionic. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I see better than seeing worse. Uh, so yeah, okay. Yeah, so there's like progress. Every, I try and explain it to people. Like, imagine progress where it's not a straight line, kind of like the stock market or something. Like it's up one day, down another, way down. But over 20 years, it's it's progressing in the right direction. So just it's just not like instant better. Yeah. Um, but it's a little but but uh, how are you as far as you were a full-time artist for a while then you oh, became yeah. uh, visually challenged and <laughs> now you're back in work mode and how, how is that whole roller coaster I don't know I was coding uh, all afternoon working on an artwork so and I was writing this morning so it feels I have to take more breaks just for my eyes that's the only difference um, and I have to be careful not to push like you know when you know, you really push for a show or something. You almost let your body go. I don't you know. know. No, I know, because you're really responsible. But yeah. I, I've, I've done things like, you know, work for 12 hours straight or, you know, not sleep or, or hurt my ankle and just, like, keep running around in circles dancing. So I, I just have to be more careful, I think. Yeah. Um, but I'm well, working. Well, I, I, I think uh, I heard from people who have kids that, they get just as much work done. It's just they have so much less time, so mm -hmm. little time that they just have to remove all distractions and be very strict on the use of their time. And uh, yeah. I, I imagine when you say, oh, I have to be careful with my time, then you're not procrastinating as much. Well, like, here's okay, an example. I like an I won't use, do this. Yeah, my screen time on my phone is way down. Like, um, so it's down like below an hour a day at the most. Um, which sounds like a lot, but I think it was probably over three hours or something like that. Like there's no, I didn't, you know, I'm not really wasting my time on anything yeah. frivolous. Yeah. Um, but since there's still 24 hours, what happens with the time that you're not on the screen? Well, I'll take a bath, which I did. <laughs> like, I'll take a long bath. That's one thing I like to do. Yeah. Uh, or I might, um, I, like it's okay to watch like YouTube or something on a TV, like oh, if okay. far enough back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's just like close-up detail work that's hard to do. Yeah, the phone must be the worst for the eyes. Yeah, I think like I've learned that the phone is my enemy. Yeah. <laughs> Followed by the computer and then. Do TV, you put the phone in a box or something like that? That thing where you have a a little vault for your phone and like, your partner mm -hmm. has the key. No, I don't really need to. Like, I, I kind of broke the addiction when I couldn't use any screen. And so I have less desire. And when I'm on it sometimes now, I'll be like, why am I on this? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. There's an addiction thing I think I broke mostly. Uh, I hope it doesn't come back. I guess, like, smoking, you can quit a whole bunch of times. You never I, quit being a smoker. <laughs> you, can, you can pause the smoking. Doesn't mean you're not a smoker. Yeah. But, um,. How are you doing? You you're, you were very busy as well, so it doesn't phase you, though. You're just, you can be busy. Like, to start the year, aren't you always busy when you start the year? Like, January, I feel like everyone's busy a little bit. Um, am I busy? Yeah, I, I mean... It's a cliche thing to say, like, early it, on. It's hard year. to say I'm busy because it's not like I'm overwhelmed, but I'm constantly making stuff, and I have a lot of projects lined up. But mm -hmm. I don't feel... Uh, I don't feel like there's not enough time and that there's deadlines that are hard to meet or that, that kind of stress. It, it, it's that thing we talked about before that I like to work uh, in the open with projects without a deadline. And then when the deadline comes, there's a lot of things that yeah. could be used. And you, but you also, you do work with other people. We've talked about this before. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a listener question that I think 
probably helps a little bit with your time management, right? Yeah. Yeah, a question from Flora Miranda, and uh, it's asking us about how to work with programmers, how to know if the programmer is the right one for the project, uh, questions in that realm. Yeah. Now, I have a lot of experience both like in software, obviously, yeah. <laughs> and as an artist, and you have a ton of experience your entire career, really, working with one programmer or two, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so the whole story for me is that I started experimenting with the web, uh, with Flash and HTML and a little bit of copy-pasting JavaScript. And I remember frame sets were something I played with. Like you'd click on one frame and an image would appear in another frame. And I would use that as a visual interaction model. It's all very primitive copy-paste uh, scripts. Mm -hmm. And then trying some animation in Flash. And I would just... You know, it's art school, there's lots of parties, you, you meet lots of people, and some people are more technical than others, and I often would talk about technology and talk about the things I wish I could do that I couldn't do yet, and how to learn, and uh, you speak to different people, and and I met Rainier, and uh, Rainier Faye, and, and he was the boyfriend of someone in my school, and we're just talking, and I was like, yeah, I can't figure this one thing out. He's like, oh, show me. I, I, maybe I can fix it. And it was a thing where it was a, you know that money animation that I have mm -hmm, with the yeah, dollar yeah. bills? Yeah. It, it was a straight timeline animation at first. So it had all these vector graphics on top of each other, like thousands and thousands of lines. And at the time, the computer would just start smoking. It's just too heavy. Mm -hmm. And... Rainier said, well, if we program it, we only need one instance of each stack of dollars instead of having a hundred layers on top of each other. And we can randomize it and et cetera. And it wasn't that hard for him. So he figured it out. And I said, oh, that's great. Maybe we can try another thing. And it just grew from there. And, and mm. so to the question, how do you start working with someone? It's just, I just met someone. He was interested to do more experimental visual programming and I had yeah. questions that were interesting to him and you just start there. What I think is unique with, with you though is that, you know, because one of the tr struggles I've had is like keeping someone consistently that's and having them be available because... Yeah, my, that was, that was another know. stroke of luck that Rainier always made time for this stuff even though he always had other things to do. Mm -hmm. You know, he had to make a living, especially in the beginning. And I couldn't pay him, so we would write down the hours. And then the, the deal was, if the project is sold, then he would have his hours paid plus a certain percentage. Mm -hmm. Little math equation. But basically, he was working for nothing in the beginning. You know, mm. just, just on the hope that one day it would sell. But that's interesting, because you had an agreement right off, right off the bat, which yeah. is more than a lot of people have when they start working with someone else. Sometimes yeah. it's just, you know, there's that, that resentment builds over time, like, oh, nothing. I, I think I a lot of people that I know, especially with crypto now, you can build in the percentage in the contract. A lot of people just work with percentages. I mean, but we're talking about 20 years ago. You couldn't yeah. do that. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've helped, I helped a lot of people for free because I was a little bit better at coding than, than some of my friends. Um, yeah, that's, I, that's always uh, the big question. Is, is the artist really the artist if the work is coded by someone else and, and you well, know that's the eternal question is Jeff Koons really an artist if his assistants are making the sculpture well in my case I would position it as like hey let's work on this collaboration and so I, I went into as a developer I would go into those relationships as like oh I'm an artist developer and this is a collaboration but so I think it's unique when and I've done it the other way obviously I've hired developers too that have been artists and I've been like, I need you to do this thing and I'll pay you this much. This is all I have. Or like, what's your rate? You know, there's been different negotiations in each on each occasion. But when I, I worked a lot for free, it was because I thought of it as like a collaboration. Like it was like I was creating a work with that other person. Yeah. Um, but in some cases, actually, I didn't take credit and I just thought it was an interesting project. Like um, a friend of mine who was just visiting in Calgary, he had like, I remember a project where he wanted um to show a video and every time the the like audience blinked the video would turn on so you could you could never really you'd like try and catch watching it but you couldn't um it would only appear when you blinked so um i thought that was interesting like just that was using a webcam 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was maybe like, this is a long time ago. And I, I had all this facial recognition software stuff that I knew how to do. And I knew I had written software for my own projects to detect blinking. So he always jokes with me now because I'd always say, yeah, that's easy. He'd ask me, is this possible? And then I'd say, yeah, it's easy. And then he'd be like, would, you know, could you help me do it? And then I'd be like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. And um, over time, some of those projects got, and I, I'm interested in hearing how this works with you and Rainier, but sometimes I would be like, yeah, that's pretty, I think I can do that. Like I would go from that's easy to like, it's, pro, it's possible, well, anything's yeah. possible, you know? So, so maybe that's an interesting question. If you're a coder, you might often, you're so familiar with the code that you'll work with ideas that are near you. So you're working on a certain script or a certain library and the idea might come from experimenting with the technology. So you're not thinking, is it possible? You're more like, hey, mm-hmm. this is possible. What can I do with it? Yeah. My mindset is more, has always been not finding out the maximum that a computer can do, but the least that a computer can do, mm-hmm. which is a very different question. It, it, it's It's not like, how many megapixels can I use? It's more like how few megapixels can I use? And so to that question of like asking someone like a James Cameron, how can we make something look like Avatar? That's not where I'm coming from. Yeah. That's not my goal. So that being said, any problem I ever threw at Rainier, it was never an issue. It's just like, okay. Then, so because you've never really, but you have done some ambitious projects over, over the course of your career. Yeah, but I'm saying I, I have, yeah, but mm-hmm. he, he never blinked. It was always like, mm-hmm. okay. There but, is one I can remember from your portfolio, though, where you avoided coding, or you tried, I think, where there was a dark room with a fly in it, and you had, you had a Well, that human. was a website originally, and then we yeah. made that exhibition, yeah. But you, you couldn't do that in code, or did you try and do it in code when you did an exhibition? No, we, we could have done it in code, but... Uh, it, was it was just funnier if it was a person. Ah, I see. Yeah. Code can be funny, I think. So, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I don't want to explain the whole thing because it would take No, no, I get it. I get it. So uh, Rainier has been a happy, is like now happily working for you full time, basically. Yeah, but the the thing that maybe is important to know for anyone listening, that it, I think we should sort of zero in on the question, should the artist code or at what point do you get help? Mm-hmm. Because you you came from a place where you were more familiar with coding than I am. Yeah. And at what point me, do you get it. help? Well, so I enjoy it, but it's also torture. So often I'll start a project and I want to understand the code personally because I make fun of it. Right. That's part of my process is like seeing what's possible and then. If I was to work with a, a developer, it would be really hard to do that because the back and forth, I would never get the jokes because the jokes occur to me as I'm coding. Like, oh, yeah. wouldn't it be funny if like... Yeah, well, that's what I meant. Like, when I you're not thinking like what's this. possible, but you're basically exploring the material and seeing what happens. Yeah, like sort of like Eames bending plywood or something like that. I'm like, you know, well, within my, the limits of what I can do. It's almost the difference between an abstract expressionist and a photorealistic painter. <laughs> I will say this though, like I would never come up with the project idea first and then try and do it in code. I would come up with the kind, the general themes I wanted to explore and I'd get buy-in from that, from like a dire- gallery director or curator or whatever. And then there were no technical promises. Whenever I've had technical promises, it doesn't work out well because my I'm not that good. And so a lot of times what I do is I'm actually hacking, not coding. I should admit that too. Like I'm taking examples that I find on the web or other things and modifying and saying like, oh, it would be funny if I combined this with that. And yeah. Yeah. so I, I'm not like a hardcore, like, cause in my day job, obviously I work with developers and it's like, you ask them, can you do this? And they're like, anything's possible given an infinite time and an infinite team. Yeah. And legitimately, sometimes they have breakthroughs that, you know, and they figure things out that no one's ever done before. But I think That's it's interesting, the tension between ideas and material. Yeah. I think that's what we're talking about. And so... Yeah, no, I agree. Play with the material and get ideas. And so there's, there's always comes up this question, should the artist be the coder or can that be separate? Well, if the art, yeah, or should the artist melt the steel or yeah. should the foundry do it? You know, that yeah. Kind of- and the thing... I, I think there's no clear answer because every way of working is legitimate. There's mm-hmm. many ways of working, but 
there is a thing where if you're really far from the material, like an 80-year-old painter deciding to make uh, AR apps, they might come up with a cool idea, but highly likely they will come up with an idea that just won't work very well because they're not so familiar with the Yeah. So I remember being a younger artist and doing a residency and being kind of disgusted because it was a technical residency, like new media residency. And none of the artists could make their own work. And I would, and so I, I came into the residency and I was like, okay, I'm going to make this work or explore this idea. And I spent the whole time coding and making work, but all the other artists like had to like meet with producers. And then those producers had to like connect them with coders. And then there was this negotiation process that happened <laughs> between like them and the coder. And I was like, this is ridiculous. Like these people got nothing done in this like month. Yeah. And, uh, but, but at the same time, Having outsiders who are not always coding, they might come up with fresh ideas that code-based artists might always make the same algorithmic shapes and 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 um, what, do sure. you call, what do you call those infinite zoom-in images? Uh, yeah, sort of some kind of um, um, uh, <laughs> what do they call it? You're yeah. talking about where you're zooming into like uh, why <laughs> these molecules? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyways. Fractals, like fractals. It's yes. it's almost like if you're coding, you just end up making fractals. Like that's the default. I don't and, even know how to make a fractal, but yeah. But <laughs> but all that being said, I think every way of working is legitimate. It's uh, there's, I agree. There's there's a there's a thing now that at least two years ago there was so much money in new media art that you would see a lot of people jumping into it that it's just not their medium and the result is not interesting, but it's about money. You mean during like the NF- NFT craze? Yeah, or like Marina Abramovich doing NFT project or Jeff Koons doing a VR sculpture. And it's like, he's clearly oh, yeah. better at vis- physical sculptures. That, that No one doubts that. No That's one a says, really good point. No one says Jeff Koons' VR project is way better than his physical exhibitions. Well, that's because he doesn't understand the material. And yeah. I, and I, like, so I, I do but think... It, if, I don't even yeah. think it's a question of, of understanding it. It's just he's not passionate about the material. Right, right. He's just like, can't we just put a balloon dog in there and call it a day? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so I don't think it matters whether he codes it, whether he bends the steel for his sculpture, all these things. It's where his heart is, where, where he's most interested. Mm-hmm. And, and I say him, but any artist. On several in, occasions, I farmed out an entire project to a developer, including to Rainier once, actually. Um, but in every one of those cases, I didn't feel... I had a different feeling about the work that was created. For some reason, I didn't... I thought that the work was good. They did exactly what I said, but uh, I was missing that creative loop that I was talking about where, you know, I had like two revision cycles or something in the budget. <laughs> and for me, because I do like hundreds of revisions and I change the project and da-da-da-da, it was like, imagine painting through an assistant, yeah. which I guess a lot of people do too. And But I was like, well, it's more just like, give me the brush. It's, it's the difference of... <laughs> having the assistant uh, in, in constant communication and you can revise things together or you ship the work from another country, it's painted and it arrives and you accept it or you don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I, don't I mean, know for... the way I work with Rainier is we share all these files and there's all these configuration files where I can change all the values of the animation and the colors and the shapes and the pacing and the speed and the 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 graphs of the movement. So you do have some control. Yeah. And so I will mess with them to the point of breaking and then we'll look at it and then say, oh, can you stabilize this? So it'll be a similar accident to when you're coding, mm-hmm. except he's a he's such a good coder that he will stabilize anything or, or find out what it, what the mistake is. And, and uh, f- when I say stabilize, like understand what is causing the glitch and then coding that to the point where you can control it Mm -hmm. and then how often do you go back and forth with them though like as you're you're making something some works are just on my hard drive for 10 years and I keep changing things and uh, then I say let's put it in the fridge like we have Mm -hmm. a file called the the, a folder called the fridge and Mm. there's just a ton of works in there and then every now and then you get something from the fridge look at it and maybe put it back uh, yeah that's kind yeah. of like an icebox or parking lot or, or yeah. different people have different words for like, yeah. not yet. Hmm, yeah. That's interesting. 
Yeah, I mean, as I've as I've had less time because of full time work, I've definitely like thought about. And then I remember going through a period where I was like, I think I talked to you about it. I was like, I have to outsource everything, otherwise I'll never scale my practice or something. And I think if that's your goal, like, um, you know, there are lots of artists. Like you I know think, how much you are being conditioned by your environment to think like that. I don't know. Tell me, yeah. what do you mean? Well, it, it's it, there's that cartoon that you're so deep in capitalism that you can't see outside the box, and it's like this. No, one. I mean, I decided I didn't need to make like, you know, a thousand things, and you know, it. Well, it just didn't work anyway. So no, but this idea of scaling is mm-hmm. kind of insane for an artist to say. But well, it isn't. It isn't because like if you're do if you say you're like Picasso, like eventually you're making thousands of works. Yeah, but wh- you know? who says you have to be that? That that. No, I know. I, I know, I but it's just yeah. in in our time to think yeah. like that. It, yeah. Yeah. Well, I remember someone told me like uh, you know I was gonna have to like do this or that or otherwise I'd always be considered a bedroom artist. I won't say who said it, but it was someone close to me, and I was like, "Ooh, that's like cut it." But like, what a if bite. you were a bedroom artist? What's wrong with that? I know. Yeah, that's the other thing. But I think the way it was presented to me at a certain point in my life and career was in, with such derision that I was like, oh, I guess joy isn't a part of <laughs> what we're doing here. Yeah. And I actually legitimately enjoy coding. So that's something I've done creative coding my entire life since I was six years old. And so even if it wasn't considered art, I would probably still do it because when I started doing it, it wasn't considered art. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. For me personally, I get a great amount of joy out of technology itself and this is I know this is not true for everyone they find technology frustrating and sometimes I do too like I That's just can't an interesting get something point. to work yeah but when I do get it to work it's one of the greatest feelings like um it's hard to explain but it's like solving a crossword puzzle that you've been stuck on for weeks or something and you made and the puzzle yourself yeah and I just yeah. feel great about myself like today you I don't know you not only solve the puzzle you designed the puzzle Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and so, yeah, exactly. It's like a puzzle that unfolds that you built and you have to solve. It's I don't know, it's very bizarre. But it's, I, you know, I, like playing I, Legos when yeah. you're a kid or something. When I read the question at first, I was like, what can we say about this? But now that I think about it, I think bef- there's such a difference in, in brain type between visual artists and programmers. And there's not, the Venn diagram of the two, there's not very... There's not that many people who are talented in both. So why, it, what makes you think that, though? It, like, what's different about them? Well, when you go to art school, like some people have a talent for photography. Some people have a talent for dance. Some mm. people have a talent. And they, all these are expressive things that are kind of ambiguous, not precise, kind of dreamy. And then you have someone who has a talent for numbers or mm. for language or other things. And the talent stack. Mm-hmm. And I think traditionally it, you would just go to art school and be like, well, some people have an eye for moving images. Some people have a great hand for drawing all these things. And you start to specialize. But I think technology was always like a small percentage. And I think because the times are changing so much, anyone in any discipline has to confront technology. I think 30 years ago, it was like, couple of people are freaking with machines and they they love <laughs> it whatever yeah and but, now but at this point now is, at some like, point. everyone has to answer that question like there's no way around it even if you are a performance artist who doesn't even want to record their performances yeah. you're still having to answer to the context of technology the pervasiveness of it in our mind. And it's kind so, of like the post-internet argument or something. From yeah, from and, and, and how can you exist without technology? All these questions, like, you can deny it. but And so, I mean, I, I realize now, for example, with, with the NFTs, it kind of started out user-friendly. Of, oh, you have foundation, you mint a, a little movie, and you're done. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's like, well, if it's not generative... Uh, well, mm. if it's, if you're not writing your own contract, come on, and, and right? Like it, it got more technical. It didn't get easier. So, I I feel like everyone is, and and that's why this question is more relevant now than ever. Yeah, I agree with you on most counts, except that the, your comment that like 
the, the developer as a numbers person because I've known so many um, developers who even had masters in art. And um, I was just talking to to like dev managers this week. So like the well, you know, I'm thinking leader. more from. I, I'm not saying developers can't be artists. I'm thinking yeah, more no, but how many me, artists that we know that we went to school with sure. do you think could code Solidity and 3D <clears throat> and make apps and manage wallets and like that whole tech stack like they no, need it's help. just yeah i think when i know you know if you've met a principal engineer which is like kind of the highest of the high like priests of development um they will tell you that to be a great uh engineer and architect of highly technical um like software you actually have to think in abstract terms and you have to be able to think of course because programming is mostly now object oriented you have to think in terms of properties like it's no longer scripting like you know when if x equals y then do z right that's like not that's i guess that's coding or scripting but that's not engineering and maybe there's a distinction here but like the best engineers i've ever met are truly like leonardo da vinci like artists um because the way they think they'll think in these abstract terms like you'll be like could we do this and this and they're like why would we do that when we can generate a thing that can you know do this and these things I you never even imagined on possible I interesting thing where the reason I've been able to work with Renier for so long is that we don't have a conflict like I'm the artist he's the, he's the technologist mm. and there's never a conflict where he will say like wait a minute that idea is too silly to do come on <laughs> You know, yeah, and I'm like, I, yeah, like, oh, I want this circle to bounce around and change color and that's it. And mm -hmm. it, there's never. So what you're describing is someone who could not work for another artist because they will enter a discussion saying like. But if we want to summarize your idea, why not just draw a square on the wall that says everything? Well, yeah, the point I'm making also is that in that environment, what I'm usually asking that person to do is join as an equal collaborator. So like in design, if the designer tells the developer what to do or the engineer what to do, um, you're going to you're, get you're way less. Nice. You're going to no, you're going to get way less value out of because they're going to oftentimes they bring forward things and possibilities that you never thought possible. I, I right? think you're making a rule and I don't think that rule is always true. This is not a rule. This is something that is like core to innovation practices in I know. You're thinking companies. from the corporate world, but yeah. I think uh, the way I work with Rainier, I, I welcome all the suggestions and I consider him a, a great mind. But yeah. if I have a really silly idea, I don't want to discuss why the idea. I just no, I, want I understand that. This is not and, a comment on Rainier. This is more no, common no, no. on but like, we're talking about, about artists hiring engineers. And when you mm -hmm. say... This, these engineers are so great they're da Vinci's then they shouldn't collaborate <laughs> with, with artists because it's just going to be a mess they're going no but I think they they're, they think in a different way to your point um, and but it's like okay you you've been doing you've been doing prints like lenticular prints your, for a long time in your career at some point you know you went to the printer and you thought of the printer as the expert on lenticulars and you negotiated how to, you know, how you could pull off an effect. But there's a bit of give and take, or maybe no, you've done wasn't. the same thing with textiles or something like that. That's not really how I see it. Because mm -hmm. it, basically what I did with lenticulars is I sent them three very different approaches. Mm -hmm. And they did them in their standard way. And one way was clearly the most interesting, and that's the process yeah. we followed. But I wasn't like, what do you think we should do? So it's very much an extension. For you, it's like top down. It's like Raphael says, and then you I, want to get as close to your no, vision as possible. No, it's like this. To me, it's like this. <laughs> you have an idea. You test the idea. If yeah. you like what happens... Prototype it. If you like what happens, you learn from it. If you don't like what happens, you try something else. And mm -hmm. if the person on the other end has a suggestion, you, you try that suggestion. Yeah. Of course. And mistakes are interesting, but in my experience, it's just, it, I don't go to the technology with a very vague idea, yeah. a very clear idea. Well, just in a corporate environment, maybe just for a brief moment, I want to tell a little tiny story, which is, I remember I was working on a, a data 
like an AI problem at a, at a software company. I won't name which one in my, in my past history. And we brought some engineers and designers and product managers together. And I was like, look, the way we've been doing this, like it, we need, we need to do it differently, but we need to, we need to innovate here. And we need to do that because, you know, the way that we've been trying to do, it's not working. And so we really need to like, but there point, you're solving no, a technology problem. No, you're but let me just finish. Art. Let me just finish because yeah. it was in, in what it, what happened next was very interesting, which is the developer like sent me a personal message after the, the chat. And he's like, no one's ever asked me to innovate. Like, I know, Jeremy, I trained... you're so nice. No, no, no. I wasn't so nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm just saying like he had basically decided that in his corporate life, he was not going to use that part of his brain because... They, you know, the way in this is a corporate problem. I'm not saying it's a Raphael problem. I don't think. I no, but we're talking about artists working with programmers. Yeah, but anyone working with programmers, at least in a lot of cases, just hand, like hands the specification. And this is an old way of working. In the '90s, that's how software was built. You'd hand the spec, which was like sometimes like a thousand pages of requirements. That the developer would then translate. No, I know. Code. I know where it can go wrong. I, I and, understand. And what would yeah. happen in those cases is like you would end up with these very obtuse solutions because a lot of the assumptions and how the thing. Well, let's let's built, make it more clear. Let me give you an example because Rainier yeah. was working at a company developing educational games. Yeah. And then someone, the client, has decided the game is web based and has to be fixed size, so we're going to use a pop up window. Mm-hmm. What happens with the pop-up window is the child clicks next to the window. The window <laughs> behind it comes yeah. to the front and is bigger, and then Great. the child can't find the game. And someone higher up decided, this is the decision, blah, 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 blah. Of course that's stupid. Yeah. And I he understand. knows it's stupid too, right? I know it's stupid. Yeah. But I'm just saying, as an artist, you don't want to have a conflict with your intuition because... Mm -hmm. This is my point, is that intuition is very tender and fragile. And when people start asking questions, you, you might destroy your being as No, an it's a good point. And it's the point that I was making when I said, like, I like to do it myself, right? Because as soon as I bring someone yeah. else in, it's like... That's Ugh. the argument for doing it yourself. Yeah. Because you, yeah. you want to say, no matter how stupid, it's my stupid. Yeah, as an artist. and But then I know, yeah. like, designer Jeremy's But like, that's the mm. same with working with... NFT platforms, curators, museums, publishers, record mm -hmm. labels. It's like the first uh, Ramones record, everybody thought it was a joke. Uh, the first death metal album, people are like, what was wrong with the recording? Uh, you know, you don't want the engineer in the recording studio to say, no, that's not how you sing. You can't yeah. use that voice. I mean, you're very lucky to have this relationship with Rainier. I, I know other artists that have larger studios with like five, six, seven, eight, even 10, you know, developers, and they run their studios in a similar way um, to what you described, where the whole studio is like prototyping. There's like an R&D almost facility, like where there's certain engineers that investigate. Could we do this? Could we do that? Um, the artist is still in control. You, They're acting more you like mean a creative like director. The type of studio that would make large physical interactive installations yeah with, like your yeah. felix lorenzo hammers and, and folks like that i've been to their studios and and it's like it runs almost like a little startup yeah, yeah, yeah. um where there's all there's research and development and there's execution and like there's even project managers like making sure you know, but at that point it's, it's more the art of management than the art of technology yeah, but Felix is very hands-on. Like, he goes station to Isn't station. Is it Rafael Lozano Hammer? Oh, did I say Felix? Yeah, thank yeah. you. <laughs> Sorry, That's yeah, very Rafael racist of Hammer. Why is it racist? I don't know. All the Latin names are the same to you. No, no. no. I'm, I'm teasing. No, I just had a brain fart. No, yeah. it's Rafael, yeah. yeah. Um, no, but I think it, of it more as, like, he's acting as the creative director uh, in that case. and Yeah, and, and then people... Uh, some people really love art for being one person doing the making and the thinking and everything at the same time. Yeah. And the romanticism of this one person behind the screen making the work. And some people like the, the big ambitious installation that you cannot make on your own. Yeah, that, I mean, that's an example where it would be impossible for a single human being to even pull it off, right? Yeah, like... but the, the other end is, is 
an artist duo like Jody and, and I think they they work separately now. So, but you like this idea that they're so weird they could never manage a studio. So they use technology in a very strange way, and you would never come up with that type of work if you're working with a team where everybody gets to have a say and people write no, birthday cards for each other. And they have team meetings and they have drinks and they talk to each other and they, no, that's not I mean, going to happen. You could, but you'd have to be really explicit about the rules, like that weird is encouraged. You'd but, have to but, encourage it. In weird yeah. Ways. So I, I think that's what I was trying to say. Like there's the model that I have, like one artist, one developer, there's uh, the artists who are model. their own developer. And then you have the studio like Team Lab with a hundred people and it will just create a different kind of work. And some people like Team Lab and some people like my work and some people like Jody and but probably the thing that you mentioned that's most helpful to folks is like kind of setting the terms of like even just the contract it can make you nervous right to work with someone if you're not technical right yeah um yeah. And, and and again I think a lot of people aren't technical but they do have wishes of a technical nature and yeah. that's the same like helping your parents set up their audiovisual. Uh, 5.1 surround sound and the Skype calls and you're like I want to receive the Skype call but I don't want the speakers behind me to start blasting totally or maybe I want to do like a silkscreen print but like I don't want to have to work for three to five years to get good at silkscreen printing so I hire someone that does it well yeah but um, then you could say oh I like Warhol because he messed around with silkscreening to the point that it became painting right right so yeah breaking the medium sometimes leads yeah. to new uh, yeah. new stuff like naivete can actually be valuable yeah, but I think in most cases when I've had the need, you know, the question I think implies, it's like I have a deadline, I pitch this idea to the gallery and or, ha or I have this vision and how on earth am I going to get that to become a reality by this time? You know? But, but I, I think uh, you and me both, we love technology. No matter what, we're screen addicts. Uh, we, whether we can code or not, we're online all the time so we see the material all the time we're familiar with the material mm -hmm. but there's so many people now who clearly see that the screen is where it's happening but it's not their thing and they want to work with it mm -hmm. and that's i think maybe where the question is coming from well i think it's also interesting because um right now there's a trend towards low or no code solutions and, and to your point socially speaking and even in like, there's all this controversy around AI and ChatGPT generating code, even for engineers that make so they you know can be lazy and have three jobs or whatever. Um, but basically, there's a trajectory where if a computer can assist you in writing the code and achieving the result, it does it really matter? And I think herein, like, if it's for pure execution, of course not, right? But if it's for collaboration or inspiration. It comes back to our original point, right? Like, I'm, if I'm building a website with Webflow, which is like a low-code kind of uh, what you know tool that you can almost build like a lightweight web app in now. Kind of a drag-and-drop yeah, development exactly. tool. Yeah, exactly. It's like Squarespace on steroids or something. Yeah. Um, you know, and I can get it done and up. Like, I built a whole um, artwork inside of Shopify. I know, but just... you're a very technical person. I'm saying... Mm. What's a good example? But if I, I had to try to do it by, by, from scratch, it would been impossible for me. Like I know, but imagine an artist like Ed Rache or yeah. Marina Abramovic, and they have an idea for an app. You know, yeah, someone, I mean, I'm almost like laughing out loud, which I shouldn't, because it's very patronizing to imagine them like struggling to. <laughs> it's like yeah, but they might have an awesome idea because a no, lot of, of course a lot of nerds or whatever you want to call it, developers, technical people are so far down the rabbit hole that they might not come up with crazy ideas because they're so used to everything. And yeah, this is how it's supposed to be done. This is where the hamburger menu goes. This is, you know, mm -hmm. and then someone might come out of the blue and like uh, someone who hardly uses the computer and like, why not turn everything upside down? Well, I mean, do we have a good example of, I remember John Baldessari made an app that was all these elements that, he had taken from 17th century still life paintings and then you could drag and drop and make still lives with the app. Mm -hmm. It was kind of cute. I thought it was well done. <laughs> Listen to the way you're talking about it, though. You're like, kind of cute. I mean, like, it's for remarkable me, you, you... for someone his age to make that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, you know, that's why I was kind of 
giggling at the Marina Abramovic thing. I almost don't want her to do it because there's purity in her trajectory and her like life narrative, like leaning, you know, on two sides of a bow or whatever piece it is, just staring at someone to add technology to that is almost like bastardizing her life's work and concept. Right. Um, But I think maybe you're right for other artists. Like we've talked about, you know, folks taking up like painting on the iPad or whatever. Oh yeah. David Hockney is a good example. David Hockney is a good example. For example, the, those photos where he's scanning the landscape with a Polaroid camera and taking thousands of photos of the same uh, landscape in front of him, from, but from all possible angles, and then collaging them together and sort of replicating how we move our eyes across the landscape. And That's an interesting use of someone using a technology that's graspable. So he, he has the Polaroid camera. He's like, oh... I'm standing on a highway. I'm looking at the highway. I have the Polaroid camera and I have stacks of uh, Mm. film or whatever you call it. And uh, I'm just going to shoot infinitely and put them together in my studio. And that's clearly a a technology that a visual artist can comprehend and use. But I love the point you're kind of, you're kind of making here, which is like, you know, within your ability, however limited it is, whatever you have available to you can be useful. Like sometimes, you know, I think one of the unsaid um, elephants in the room here is like, if your idea is bigger, if your ambition is too large, you know, like we've, we've met those people even in art school, right? Where it's like, yeah. they have like <laughs> a revolutionary. It's going to change everything. <laughs> exactly. It's going to be a mirror. You walk up to it, you're invisible. How does it work? I don't but know. I, <laughs> I, I will say this, like, in the gallery, you can get away with very low-tech stuff. So mm-hmm. Here's an example. You know how things like TeamLab, they could make an installation that might cost $5 million to build, and it's like thousands of man hours of coding and whatever. And end of the day, it's a bunch of moving lights. It's like some flowers on the wall, and there's changing color, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then this artist, John Armlader, who works a lot with accidents and found objects, he made this... A light installation where he just went to a wholesaler for disco lights and just got the whole budget of the show he just bought disco lights and just filled yeah. the room with all these disco lights and it's just as overwhelming yeah or if you're Dan Flavin you just stack a bunch of fluorescent lights yeah. in the corner and so it's very low there. tech but but mm-hmm. doing very low tech on the web or as an app it's it doesn't have that same um impact where it's interesting you say that though because that's how you got your start but you're kind of arguing that like with the nft thing like the 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 high watermark got higher and higher so that like you you know no what i'm saying is that the empty space in a gallery has so much authority that Mm -hmm. if you just say i'm just gonna fill the empty gallery with lemonade Mm -hmm. that's already a big gesture but if you make a web page that's just filled with an image of lemonade it's just not as badass <laughs> yeah well it, i mean certainly yeah that's an interesting point so if you were to consider the technology almost like a white cube yeah it doesn't hold the authority at the space that a space like a gallery might and so you have to the work has to hold its own in a way like it has to stand on its own yeah or maybe the value of the work will create that authority uh yeah but that same kind of badass thing of like, oh, am I going to make a kinetic sculpture by just hanging a bunch of bicycles in the gallery? Well, that's definitely been done. Yeah. I think that's an I Weiwei piece, actually. No, no, for sure. But th- that's what I mean. <laughs> and so if you just put a bunch of bicycles in an app and, and make the app $10,000, I don't know if it's the same thing. Well, it doesn't even make any sense. I think it comes back to our original point, which is like, if the mat- if you can't... If you're working with digital material, there is a little bit of self-reflection on the context. Yeah. And that's maybe what I meant with the familiarity of like, loving the medium or not. Well, because I know you wanted to talk about bored apes <laughs> today. Yeah. But, I mean, that's, uh, that's a big, uh, it's maybe jump. a conversation for another day, but even within the NFT space, like the projects that are most successful are somewhat, you know, referencing the media, or the medium of the NFT as like, this is this 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 thing stands for this, right? Like this. You mean PFP projects? Yeah, PFP projects. Unfortunately, like, is even if you hate the aesthetic of the board apes, which we were talking about earlier, like, 
you would acknowledge that like the the concept of a PFP where vanity is you know tied to the blockchain or something. There's something. There might be even be something there. Like people are so critical of it, but if you well, think the, about it, I, yeah, I, I think what we're talking about is uh, that technology developments go fast, and then if someone's not that technical or doesn't know that much about NFT culture, and then as an artist they say, "Oh, I want to make a PFP project, but instead of recognizable things, I'm gonna," and then you might make a joke that somebody already made. It's just this treacherous area. <laughs> it definitely is. Y- you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 But if like 10 years ago I said to you, Raphael, I have this idea for a project. It's going automati- to auto-generate 100,000 uh, characters that are personalized to individuals and only, each person can only own, owns their version of it. And it's going to exist on this thing that's like... And it's a re- decentralized. Like decentralized. You'd be like, wow, that sounds like a really ambitious media art project here. I mean, yeah. It's going to yeah, change yeah, the yeah. world. Yeah. You wouldn't be laughing about it then, I don't think. Um, and then, and, and then also, I, like, I would tell you I'm going to make $100 million. You'd be, even, you'd be laughing even louder. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, maybe that's a side, a side side track. The main track, though, at the end of the day, um, for me anyway, is like, I enjoy writing code. You enjoy working with Rainier. Sometimes I hit a limit and I have hired people. I've, it's not like I've regretted yeah, and, it. It just hasn't also, been as fun. I've hit limits where Rainier has his expertise and then he's not so into apps. So then I made apps with other people or custom smart contracts I make with someone else. And yeah. so I've worked with, I have one developer for my backend stuff and you 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 just meet people over time so i i don't know that's always the i always struggle with these um questions to give a clear answer that's practical to help someone cuz like yeah. like well, we one, just, one like we discuss share. things just happen and it's like how do i tell someone how to meet someone in college well i don't want to come off as like i i'm actually good at this stuff I, that's the last thing i <laughs> i want to talk about because i like, don't want to say i'm a genius but no 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 because i'm not like i so i went to school i started out in university in computer science and sociology weird combo but i flunked out of computer science to be honest with you like i got through two classes and i my I grade like i really had to work hard and i was like wow this is like so hardcore what, what what do you think is missing in your head you couldn't do it. it well, like because I have it, the same problem. Well, yeah. one of the things is I had to take calculus, <laughs> yeah. and like I flunked high school math, basically barely got it through it. Um, and so I, but I stumbled across like some of the these like early creative coding uh, applications. Like in this case, like I stumbled across Max MSP, like kind of midway through university. And that was one of the first kind of um, creative coding uh, softwares where it wasn't like, I hate using that term softwares, it was a piece of software. Anyway, regardless, you didn't have to write code, you would draw lines between objects and things like that. And then you didn't have to compile your code. It would like, when you did something, you would automatically see a result. But better than all of that was, you could click on anything to get an example, and then you could copy and paste like, these little objects from one example and drop them into your um, what was called a patch. And it's still out there. Max is still very popular. Um, there's lots of other ones like V4. Touch designer. On Windows. Touch design. Touch designer is huge now. I never yeah. saw that one coming. But um, And I use like, yeah, I use a different authoring environment I now mean, by Snap. It's, it's funny that you say you, you didn't like math or it wasn't your thing. I was pretty good at math. But then uh, programming seemed much more like a language thing. I'm not that good at languages. Hmm, interesting. So I was like, oh, how do, what am I supposed to say to get this thing going? How am I supposed to say it? And I, I got frustrated with that. Well, I remember I had to learn, like, or my final assignment before I, I quit was, like, design an inventory system for a hardware store. And I was like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> I was like, I don't want to do an inventory system for a hardware store. I want to do something fun, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think it just didn't seem like the way it was assigned to me was almost like, like a client assigning, like a, but, yeah. a task. There was no, there was no room for creativity, at least in that class. I'm sure you know later on it, I would, yeah. it would have worked out, but uh, but it was the, too hard. that question of scaling, I reacted a little bit 
annoyed with it because it sounds so businessy, but it is true. If you have a lot of ideas, it's not that you want to make a lot of money, but you have a lot of ideas. And so I often have this thing where, oh, I want to design these sculptures and I want to make some music and I want to mm -hmm. make this short film. And I'm going to need help if I want to do all of them or I have to decide. And so uh, making the tapestries, I don't want to rent a space, get a weaving machine, learn how to weave, etc. when someone else is better at it than I am. Yeah. So that's part of, and, and part of it is also, for example, if you want to be good at uh, 3D design, like spatial and, and, and exhibition design, it just takes a few years to get good at it. No, it's true. You, and you're reminding me, like, I've worked with other people, like costume designers and, like, carpenters. Yeah, yeah. And, like, when I've worked with carpenters, I'm like, wow, like, life just got so much easier. And, you know, but, or, like, I yeah. can't sew. And working with a costume designer, they do, you know, what would take me months in a week. And it's just like, wow, that's incredible, right? Like, there's real talent yeah. out there that you and can then work with. Christina's helping me now with exhibition design. And that's great because she's right here. Uh, I just don't have the either the talent or the patience or both to learn 3D. Maybe I should, but I think at this point, anyone who's doing exhibitions, they're having to deal with 3D software, whether they do it themselves or someone else. Well, this is the ultimate good point, like yeah. also, which is like, why not leverage the expertise of someone who has spent, you know, more well, years? Well, sometimes than you, you don't have the means, passion. right? The money means, right? Yeah, well, yeah. that's why, you know, you're, again, I would come back to your contract terms are super important <laughs> for anyone um, who's entering into an agreement with like a contractor. You yeah. want to make sure up front yeah. that you, because it very quickly can become a resentful I've had a few collaborations that were broken up in conflict and that were painful. So you, you start working and the, the person on the other end has very different expectations. And as the project's moving along, it, you both realize like this is not working. Totally, totally. And that's just part of life is trying and things, some things work and some things don't. And that's the same with human collaborations. Like not everything is an instant success. Yeah, but I make sure I have a sort of a scope of work or contract with everyone I collaborate with now. Yeah, but I, I think we're both sort we're of neat, neat, tidy <laughs> people. But I think a big problem of, of the crypto space that I'm seeing now is it's, it's becoming even more technical. It was already too technical to begin with. And so it's excluding so many interesting people. Mm -hmm. And so for the medium to become interesting, we can't, it can't be too nerdy. I agree with you. It's similar yeah. in AR where like um, some of the basic AR stuff got really, really easy um, just like a couple of years ago with both like Facebook and Snap coming out with like authoring tools. But like I've been using these authoring tools now for a few years and they've gotten so complex. That's what happened. Yeah, they, all these features are. By added. the way, to the point yeah. where I have like a developer assigned to me at one of the companies to like, <laughs> to like consult on like things I'm struggling with. It's absurd, right? That I have to be part of this little like tiny community with well, know, like developer I mean, developer help. You remember the, the beginning of NFT with Foundation and a big part of, to me of the fun was discovering all these really strange people from around the world making things mm -hmm. and they were not that technical but there was a lot of energy there yeah and well that's kind of lost now or it's not on my radar no, that was how there. like in the creative coding when i got started in creative coding and it's funny because i've also i've interviewed other creative coders for some projects and, and festival stuff that i did but they almost always started i was like how did you get involved and and for me this was true too like you know, how did you end up meeting so-and-so? And it would be like on the technical forum for this creative coding software, right? Like in the user group, on yeah, the Discord. Yeah, yeah. And so a lot of the stuff, we have this assumption that it's like a, you know, lone genius figuring it out. But I received so much help um, from all types of people all over the world on forums, you know, or like... Um, yeah, the internet in is not all groups. bad. No, but I remember like specifically Kyle McDonald was, for me early on, who was, he was taking a lot of like writing a lot of open source kind of software from academic papers on facial recognition and stuff and sharing what he, his knowledge, you know, on, on forums on, and via these releases on GitHub. And then I would reach out to him and I'd be like, Hey, like this isn't working for me or could we add this? And he, he would just do it out of the kindness of his heart. But like so many people helped me 
early on with code examples and mm. things like that. But, but even further back, I remember there was this Flash website where everyone would upload their experiments and that Oh yeah. If only that was archived and I could look at it today because it had this very distinct aesthetic of a certain mm -hmm. era. And I think it'd be very fresh right now to look, browse through it. And well, one yeah, one of the things uh, or scenes I've, I've I've talked about before that I find super inspiring, even it came out of like It was the like 70s similar to the SketchUp 3D market Place, but then for flash but it's like a continuation of the demo scene in a way yeah. right like where yeah. people are showing off what they can do and then but it's not so that they can it's almost not ego but the cool it's thing like, about the let beginning me of flash was it, it wasn't let me show you what i can do it was really just very naive sort of folk art digital folk art yeah no but i'm not it even wasn't saying high tech even in the 70s and 80s it wasn't let me show you what i can do it was like what if we tried this and like look i figured this out and sharing it with other people yeah. right so yeah. I, I I don't know. That's why I start. I said like I did, I'm not very good at this stuff, but I'm good at like finding examples and kind of modifying them. Well, the '70s and, is a good thing to reflect on because you had all these people playing with video cameras, which is a very simple recording technology. You have a lens, you can zoom in and out, you can press record, and that's mm -hmm. about it. Mm -hmm. And people just made crazy ideas with that, like oh, let me put a time delay filter between this and the and the TV, and it's like. You're changing reality. Well, back then, that was like analog circuits, too. Yeah. Right? Like, have you ever tried to take an electronics class? There's another no. barrier, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, the like, I, barrier. yeah, the hardware barrier, like, even though I've always been pretty, you know, just like I can manage with code, put me in like an electronics class. And I'm like, what are they talking about? Like, <laughs> this is, I cannot get this LED to work. Like, I, yeah. I've done all the breadboard stuff. No, I've done I, more workshops. I, I went to an LED workshop in, in Brooklyn, like a space that, where everybody gets together. And uh, people would make sculptures with LED panels. And I looked at the place and I saw this path before me where I could start <laughs> making this and then selling them and then have a team that's repairing them. And I was like, no way. Yeah, it all starts with a blinking LED, right? Yeah. But I think it was just like the concepts of electricity and the physics of that. Like for me, it was like just too much. Like just sounds like stress. Yeah. Well, it was a whole another set of analogies and metaphors and things like, you know, ways of understanding. I think knowledge builds on itself, right? So like, you know, this is something I always take for granted, which is because I started when I was six in, you know, in hypercard or whatever, some concepts make sense to me and others don't. Right? Yeah. Like, and I've been building on that knowledge for like an entire lifetime, right? What, one of the thing, key things that's very fascinating to me is every personality is born at a certain moment. And that might be the right time for that personality to function and to flourish or not. Mm -hmm. So I saw, I was browsing interviews on YouTube and saw an interview with Richard Serra. And he was kind of complaining that the current generation is more focused on image than on the three-dimensional... Like, how much work is Richard Serra seeing that he can make this comment? Anyway, keep going. Anyway, he, he's, <laughs> he's saying the physical exhibition and his type of exhibition is the full human experience with smell and hearing and three-dimensional. And the current generation is in the virtual, on the glowing screen, and it's only the image and it's not the object and blah, oh, blah, I blah. Yeah, okay. And my immediate thought was, if you're in a room with a Richard Serra without your phone... It's an isolated experience and you're missing an organ. Like when you're not sharing an image, it's part mm. of your sensorial body. Like you cannot separate that anymore. It's part of your sociology at this point. It's part I mean, of, your, of your psyche. It's the part of mm. your way of seeing. Like, for example, the translation of the three-dimensional space to a photo is a big part of how you discover a, an object. Like that, that's how we see now. That, like we're walking around with our phone. That's how we see. Mm -hmm. And so he doesn't get that because he just doesn't care. Like he's well, he also has a different lived experience. To your point. Yeah, yeah, and 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 a very successful one. So there's no need for him to go into this new realm. Mm -hmm. But and doesn't he comment on like he he has a different lived experience than his father who grew up in like no, the shipyards the, the, this, or whatever? This was a very short clip. But the, my mm. point is, there's no need for him to learn to work with programmers, etc. But I think anyone now who's under 40 years old or, mm -hmm. or, or anyone who wants to learn or needs to learn, someone who hasn't made it yet, let's put it that way, someone yeah. who hasn't, uh, is not a total success yet, they're going to have to answer that question of the shared psychology. Like, you could either make something that 
photographs well or you could work from the image or etc but you can't deny the stream of information yeah i mean i made a ar sarah actually it was fun to walk through it um but it's different you know yeah. i think you're you know ultimately he wouldn't understand what's different about it he'd be like this is a poor copy of yeah. what i did what is this piece of shit yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he might be right yeah. um but i think like what's coming next with a you know not to like make this a speculative podcast but like between ai and ar like reality is about to get bent in some really yeah but then back to the question of programmers Mm -hmm. i don't think visual artists will be able to code all their ideas so they're going to have to collaborate but i also think it's relevant to your point earlier which is like at some point soon like everyone will experience a reality that intersects with technology. And I think they already do. It's just like, you know, not acknowledged to your point about Sarah. And so there is a politic to this idea of working with a developer, right? Because at some point, you know, we all need to have an understanding of the technology sufficient to remain critical, right? And I think that's the thing that you were trying to talk about earlier with Marina Abramovic or that you did speak to or whomever, right, or Richard Serra, is that they are not the guides, you know? But you don't, you know, they're, I, I, I'm, I'm struggling to kind of find the words for this, but, like, if we're going to make great work in the future, to you can't just, like, ignore... But it's, yeah, and it's not an age thing. I think Frank Stella just did a cool project where he distributed 3D models for sculptures and as NFTs and people could make them. And it was no, kind a of a point. cool project, so... Mm-hmm. He it's got it an in an interesting thing. way. Yeah. 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 But ultimately, like, it's a contemporary context thing. And so, yeah, I guess whether you work with a developer or not, um, le- learning a little bit about the developer's world, though, I think even you with Rainier, you understand enough about the code. You mentioned that you can tweak variables, right? And um, having that kind of understanding does affect the creative process. This would be my argument, ultimately. I, th- I used to require, I didn't say this earlier, but I require the designers on my team to learn front-end coding. And they hated that, by the way, a bunch of them. Um, and so I would only hire ones that could do some coding. And my point at the time was like the Bauhaus for, you know, in, in the 1930s and 40s would have emphasized like you need to understand steelwork, you know, the, the, the materials of industry, right? You need to understand wood, ceramics, and so if we're now building software, designing software, we should understand code. That, I, was, I'm, I was very pure about that. I'm less pure today because it got so complicated, to your point. Yeah, that's earlier. what I mean. And so like, I eventually had to let go. Now, those designers, uh, a bunch of them became full-time developers. Just so, like They gave up on design. Um, they enjoyed the development more. And some of them gave up on on development and became full time. You know, so there is a division of labor issue at stake as this like the universe of what is code or technology is yeah, so there's, vast. Yeah, there's, there's the, maybe the division of labor is also you try lots of things and then there's a clear indication what your talent is and you want to maximize that. Well, that's true. Like even when I talk to professional engineers, they're like, "Wow, what you do with AR? I could never do that." I was like, "What are you talking about? You're like literally." <laughs> a genius engineer and like no way Jose like I can't do that and so um it's just interesting yeah like even they specialize right so you might find a specialization or an angle that no one else has found I think that's one thing that is interesting is the idea of nerd machismo Mm. and uh, like the movie Step Brothers Mm -hmm. Do you, if you recall the movie Step Brothers and they're trying to sort of out-nerd each other, it's like, I yeah, know yeah, yeah, karate yeah. better Fer- than you. They're, and, uh, they're clearly not good at it. And there's that yeah. thing when programmers get together and it's like, uh, oh man, these people are idiots, we are so smart. That's like a stereotype of the, the TV show Silicon Valley, the, the guy Guilfoyle. Sure. <clears throat> yeah. And have you come across a lot of developers that... because really. Because they have this power. I mean, if you... If you're good at code, you just clearly the world has become more digital and you just have such a head start. No, I think in, in industry or the industry I work in and software development, they're treated uh, oftentimes they feel like they're treated so poorly that the, the sometimes what you'll detect is resentment that they haven't been included earlier in some process. Um, 
But generally, they're jovial, easy to work with, regular that, people like you and I. Yeah, that, that because that's, to me, the, to answer the question, how do you pick a programmer to work with? It's One that you like working with. It's yeah. a personality thing, and you just have to try to do a project together and see how it goes. Yeah. But... Uh, the proof is in the pudding and then you'll know and but actually like you're making a final good point here which is even of all the of all the developers i've worked with my favorite ones to work with are other artists and this is because it's very fast to what you said about a bouncing ball being stupid I, yeah I, I don't i feel different but yeah well in that that's good that's good yeah. but like in in the case where i've worked with a few po- folks where it's worked out well it's because like I I didn't have to apologize for my weird idea, and they kind of got it and pushed it. Yeah, but I, I I've worked with developers where I would have a certain idea, mm-hmm. and then they didn't really know how to solve it technically, and then they would have, I would have an aesthetic dispute because they wanted to avoid that solution oh, that I, yeah, that, I, that I was asking. Yeah. So they're like, "Oh, you should never crossfade images. That's <laughs> that's that's kind of a lie because one image is not the other. So why would they be mixing?" It's like, yeah. well, you just don't want to solve it. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, maybe bottom line, or good, I don't know if we have a good point here. We've been a bit muddled, but like is find someone <laughs> that you like working with. And, and then if you're looking for someone, usually another artist that's doing some technical work has worked with someone. I would say that's like the easiest. <laughs> I like, mean, I'm, I, I'm very, very, very happy. Uh, I think it was kind of a stroke of luck that I met Rainier and... The fact that yeah. we work well together for so long is it because a lot of when you think of musical bands they always break up. But it's a very un, it's I think you're right though that there's a lot of barriers to inclusion that you know if you if you feel like you just can't learn we're missing out on some really great ideas right so, exactly and and I think as much as we think like oh technology is going to make life easier it doesn't seem to be that way. No, it's more complicated than it ever has been, for sure. Even just choosing a platform to learn is so is impossible at this point. I mean, I think. even just sending an email. Yeah. Did yeah, it go just... to spam? Am I blacklisted? <laughs> you can blame me. Am I in UX. the priority inbox? UX designers aren't going out of out of work anytime no. soon. No. Okay. Just well, thanks wait for the question. The chip is in your brain. Yeah, who knew we could talk for over an hour about how to hire a developer? I don't know if we really got to an answer, but I would say like find someone you like to work with, ask a friend, and make sure you have a contract. But yeah. those are some basics. Um, yeah, I guess All that's right. it well, for thank this week. you, Flora Miranda, for the question, and uh, no yeah, field recording next time. Yeah, and apologies last time for um, not having a pop filter. I'll get one before. Uh, before our next podcast, yeah, I gotta just, get it. I, I just I gotta get buy a, a pantyhose. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I should just put a sock over this thing. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks everyone. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.